Hi, Janina. Hi, Emma. It's History of Sexy Time. Hooray! Hooray! <laughs> it's History Time and History is Sexy, and we're going to answer people's questions about history and that, show I think them how it's sexy. The quickest we've ever got the premise. You've got into the episode. Our first names and the basic premise. Yeah. Um. That's fine. Don't need to know anything else. That's the end of the episode. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs> That's all we needed to do. <laughs> That's all we needed to do. Yeah, hi, Janina. How you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. How are you doing? I know, ticking along. Oh, ticking along. I finished the first draft of my book. Yes, you did. I'm so excited about this one. Yeah. So currently sitting next to me at this moment with my loud mouth on top of it is <laughs> A Fatal Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, draft one. <gasps> Such a good title. Yeah, it's many, many pages. Um, I like how you're going for that niche Ancient history and musical theatre, <laughs> love and crowd. It's the combination of the two of us and no one else. <laughs> uh, it's it really great because literally nobody under the age of 30 understands it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we need to try and orchestrate a West End revival of Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the yeah. Forum so that people get the reference. Or get that film re-released in cinemas. Oh, um, yeah. We like, should contact Prince Charles. I bet they'd do a limited yeah, version. <laughs> like, just before it comes out. Yeah. Maybe that can be my book launch. Anyway, <laughs> so that's done. So now I'm forcibly staying away from it, and it's looking at me all the time. But is this in a drawer? I don't literally do, don't have a drawer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one of the many my many complaints about my uh, cobbled-together office slash spare room slash Connor's dressing room mm-hmm. is that it is too small for it to be all of those things yes and there's literally no room for any drawers i do feel your pain so i literally i could put it in a drawer in my bedroom but then it would just be in there like with my t-shirts yeah that's a bit weird <laughs> yeah it would be it's, odd it's tough combining your office space i currently have the day bed in my study which also doubles as our spare room covered in drafts of episodes and it's not great. It doesn't make it a great environment. No, I mostly use the spare bed as kind of a shelving. So at the mm-hmm. moment, it's just piled with books. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's actually, it's quite terrible. And in fact, quite a lot of stationery. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's fine. Yeah. yeah, it's fine. One day I'll have an office that is big enough to put some drawers in. Yeah. And a desk that has drawers in. Because what I've got... So when I first moved into this house, I wasn't really planning on staying here as long as I have. And I just got a very tiny desk mm-hmm. from like 20 quid from Argos, just the cheapest one that I could find that I could get quickly. Yeah. And then I kind of expanded, but I couldn't afford at the time to buy a bigger one because I was freelancing. So I got a second one, uh-huh. did a bit of sawing, only put three legs on it and screwed it together <laughs> With the first one, so that now I kind of created a cobbled together corner desk, uh-huh. which is just two tables I literally screwed together yeah. and took a leg off. And then Connor came, and so I just got him a third one and screwed <laughs> that on as well. <laughs> so, it's very good. So now it's three very, very cheap Argos desks all screwed together. Which is it's fine. It's fine. That's amazing. I'm I'm very impressed three with books that. on it. So yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's not who we're here to talk about. That's not what we're here to talk about at all. What are we here to talk about? We're what? here to talk about the Spanish Inquisition. <gasps> the Spanish Inquisition. It was inevitable, and everyone expected it. <laughs> Nobody expected it. So our question comes from three people. Mm-hmm. who all asked broadly the same question. So it comes from Dr. Scribble mm-hmm. and John Freeman and Mang Mang Mang, who is Naomi. And all of them basically asked, did anyone expect the Spanish Inquisition? I mean... Slash. John vaguely decided to rephrase it as, was the Spanish Inquisition really that bad? But what he meant was, did, did anyone, anyone expect, expect the yeah. Spanish Inquisition? Which, Which is, is, of course, a reference to Monty Python. Monty Python joke. <laughs> That was famously referenced repeatedly in hit film Sliding Doors. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which was when I, like, I definitely watched a lot of Monty Python when I was a kid, but I think I had forgotten, I'd forgotten actually basically all of it except for one sketch that stayed with me, uh, (laughs) which which was about one of them was playing a marriage celebrant or a vicar or something, and they all, all the other ones kept coming up saying, 
I want you to marry me. And he would say, <laughs> I'm already married. Um, <laughs> and I had remembered it as being like one of those ones that split up and keeps appearing throughout the episode. But yeah. it wasn't. It was just one sketch because I've rewatched the first couple of seasons recently. <laughs> and it's just one sketch. And then at the end, they all just get married to each other. And oh, that's quite nice. lovely. Yeah. So that was the only Python I remembered. And then when it all came up on sliding doors, I was like, that's a funny joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. That's sweet. I have, I have since, having rewatched some Flying Circus, seen the okay. original. So you've seen the original. So the, basically yeah. the deal is that the joke is, well, I watched it again last night to remind myself like what actually happened in it other than just men in red dresses bursting in shouting nobody in position and basically the joke is that they jump in and go whenever basically in sketches they have somebody say oh i didn't expect the spanish inquisition in which the first one i believe is people talking about what's happening at the mill there's trouble at mill (laughs) and then he says no, I didn't expect the Spanish Inquisition. And then the Spanish Inquisition burst in as three Inquisitors going... Nobody expects... No one expects the Spanish, Spanish Inquisition. Inquisition. Our chief weapon is surprise. And then they get confused into what their chief weapon is and mm. end up agreeing that amongst their weapons, which they have at their disposal, are including surprise, fear, ruthless efficiency, a fanatical devotion to the Pope and nice red uniforms. I mean, um, they did have some nice red uniforms. They did have some nice red uniforms. Yeah. And um, I suspect that they also had fear and ruthless efficiency. I'm but pretty we sure they did, yeah. So, and that has kind of put the idea of the Spanish Inquisition in the modern imagination as this kind of one, as this ruthless, terrifying thing based on a fanatical devotion to the Pope where people would occasionally pop up and scream and kill you it and has just to burn be... you at the stake. Annoyed if you were all the other inquisitions that this is the one <laughs> that stuck. This I think was my favorite part of doing research for this with the other. Well, I didn't I didn't get to go deep on all of them, but when you start reading about inquisitions in general, you get to because the first one was an attempt by the Catholic Church to combat heresy, and yes. it particularly was against a sect called the Cathars or Carthars, who were like a Gnostic sect who believed that the Old Testament God and the New Testament God were different gods and that the Old Testament one was evil and bad and that the New Testament God was nice and good. And the point of life was to get away from material things because the Old Testament God created all of the physical things. So material things belonged to him and he was evil. And devote yourself to spirituality along with the ideals of the new God who is the God of the New Testament and who was lovely and good. And I just think that's kind of sweet. <laughs> that is um, a delightful and classic. People came up with that quite early. Mm-hmm. Like the cathars were just one uh, iteration of that because it was. it is often quite difficult and you'll still find people who struggle with the fact that they read the Old Testament and, and it is God wild. smiting and opening up the earth because somebody gave him the wrong kind of incense. He kills so many people just on a whim. He's real mad. Yeah. But also very chatty. Yeah. And then the New Testament, and God is not really there. He's not a character, one would say. No. It's kind of passed on to his son, and his son is all like peace and love and not killing and being nice to each other, except fig trees, which can fuck right off. (laughs) Just that one. Just just that one that... Just that one fucking fig tree, which can piss off. Yeah. (laughs) But... Yeah, so there have been quite a few attempts. But yeah, so it began officially, like inquisitorial law and what they, the inquisitions of the medieval period drew from was early anti-Christian Roman practice and then post-Nicene, post-Nicaea inquisitions to hammer out Arianism. So to Mm -hmm. get rid of the idea that basically the council of nicaea if you know your nicene creed was the one where everybody agreed that it was orthodox to believe in the trinity and that not believing in the trinity believing that god and man and the holy spirit god christ and the holy spirit was separate was heresy (laughs) and so there was quite a lot of of trying to of using the exact same practices which had been used to force people to 
unconvert from Christianity yeah. were then used to try to force people to convert to Orthodox Christianity. Mm. Which I think is, is quite interesting to remember this sort of stuff that like, I mean, even now, obviously, there are lots of different versions of Christianity. There are millions of different churches and a lot of individual viewpoints within them. But like, there were it took hundreds of years to knock out what it really was to be a Christian. And that included like deciding what went in the Bible and yeah. This. And then deciding everybody had a, an interpretation. Yeah. But the Spanish Inquisition specifically, the thing that surprised me about it was how long it lasted, like, officially. Mm. Because it began officially on paper yeah. in November the 1st, 1478, and it ended, Janina, in 1834. Yep. Which is much longer than I thought. <laughs> Like, you think of it very much as being a medieval thing. Yeah, something that just flared up. And I think I always assumed that it kind of ended when it failed to come to England. Yeah, but no, it really went on. Yeah. Which leads me to suspect that after 400 years, people probably did very much expect the Spanish Inquisition. I think they probably did. I mean, I think my instinct is they might, might have expected it or something like it. Anyway, what I, what I was surprised by is that the Spanish Inquisition is kind of just the beginning of Spain. Like this is yes, the it's point part at of which the re- unification of Spain as a yes, country. Because Spain up until this point had been a lot of I mean just as England was, just as everywhere in Europe was, little areas that were constantly being warred over and invaded and conquered and reconquered and everything and that Spanish area in particular was very very multi-religious it was being invaded by the Moors so there were areas of it that were Islamic for a long time yeah and then there there was like quite a long-standing conquering reconquering going back and forth between Islamic I guess tribes or kingdoms and then Catholic tribes or kingdoms for power of this area and going backwards and forth. And then on top of that, and this is where the Spanish Inquisition really begins, is you have a, a very large Jewish population. Yes. Which was, as a Jewish communities often are, easy to pick on whenever <laughs> there was a problem, effectively. Yeah. And they were very much picked on. So the Spanish Inquisition formally starts... I'm going to ask, answer what is the Spanish Inquisition first, because to be honest, I feel like most people don't really know. Mm-hmm. And it has kind of three major phases, really. It officially begins on paper in 1478 when Sextus IV, who's the Pope, gave King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella, who are the King and Queen of Castile, um, a papal bull, allowing them to have an inquisition to ha- to get rid of heresy. And much like lots of things with the popes, a papal bull sounds much cooler than it is because it's just a bit of paper and in no way involves cows. It's very sad. It is very sad. We're going to get like... It's sort of like the diet of worms, which comes up later on, like sounds like something very dramatic and disgusting and then it turns out to just be a meeting. <laughs> it's just a meeting it's very boring just a council meeting rubbish don't give it a good name you sometimes wonder if they did this deliberately yeah anyway so that's when it like formally starts on paper but before that the kind of real beginning was the massacres and mass conversions of jewish people across spain in 1391 mm. now this is my understanding here and i correct me if i'm wrong this, Jews were getting driven out a lot of places at this point in history, right? They're being driven out of England, driven out of France. Yes. Having a bad time. And so... They were having a real bad time. Spain, Spain is sort of jumping on the anti-Semitism bandwagon. Um, yeah. And also trying to bring a more cohesive religion and, like, legislation that was based on religion. So that meant dealing with... Because Catholics were in power, it meant dealing with... Jews and Muslims my understanding is and I got a bit confused (laughs) is that basically if you were 
Muslim if you or you were Jewish. You could convert to Catholicism or you could get the fuck out, basically. Basically what happened, yes. So this is going to come up over and over again, but what happened in 1391 was there were massive riots which ended up with many thousands of Jews being killed and then many others were given the option of being baptised, being forcibly baptised or being killed or getting the fuck out. <laughs> and so for a lot of people, their option across Spain was die like these people over here or, or leave everything or or be baptised. Yeah. And a lot of synagogues were forcibly turned into church and a lot of people, like many thousands of people, were violently baptised, which was which obviously... basically just means you're being waterboarded. Yeah, to an ex- yeah, basically. You're just kind of dunked and then you say, I believe in Christ now. Yeah. The problem that then emerged was that almost none of those people... It's Olivia, had- having a, Olivia having a nice time in the background there. Olivia's having a nice time in the background. She's just the third person in this. <laughs> She's got some opinions. She's got some opinions. She's very sad about anti-Semitism. She well, feels very strongly that anti-Semitism is terrible. She's a good um, and sensible cat. She's been taught well. <laughs> she has good parents who brought her up well uh, <laughs> so she's just she, but she's still young so she's weeping <laughs> the yeah so the problem then was that a lot of people were technically baptized christians because they'd been forcibly dunked or <laughs> like had had themselves dunked in order to not be killed which doesn't and, hold up to like papal rule like you no. It's not something that you that is recognised as a conversion. It's not something that you're allowed to do to people. I mean, it kind of they were kind of fine with it as long as. But it's like they were they because there were written down rules, right? That said, yeah. don't do this thing. But uh, the idea was that they just said, "Well, look, we've threatened them, and they've agreed willingly." Great. <laughs> like we didn't hold them down. Then we just waved this sword at them for a while and then they willingly came to the baptismal font. Yeah, they just somehow saw the truth they saw of, the light of, of Christ. Yeah, they Out saw... nowhere. And so, obviously, these people became known as conversos <laughs> and they obviously did not particularly lead Catholic lives because they maintained Jewish belief and practice. <laughs> and... This became a problem around about the kind of mid-15th century when people started huffing and puffing in a manner that will sound very familiar to anyone who's ever looked at like anti-Semitism in Europe ever, that conversos, a.k.a. Jews who had converted to Christianity, were had too much power. Um, And they were considered to have too much power and too much influence, both in local government and in the royal courts. And they were seen to be too much everywhere and different. And a guy called Alonso de Honieda, and I'm really sorry for my Spanish pronunciation, which is terrible. Please don't hurt me. (laughs) Was uh, preaching about how conversos were ruining Spain and... Isabella and Ferdinand, king and queen of Castile, saw him talk and were like, oh, my God, this is a terrible problem because apparently they were very easily convinced of things. So this guy was the Fox News of his time? Kind of, yeah. Yeah. And he was like the like the anti-Semitic... Yeah, he was the Fox News of his time. The previous guy was called Ferrand Martinez. He started the 1391 massacres. Cool. And this guy, Alonso, started this shit off. Is a, they got their papal bull. They didn't really start doing anything until 1480 um, when they kind of half-heartedly began. Then they started picking up speed when they set up a council of the Inquisition and invented the idea of an inquisitor general who was head inquisitor called Thomas de Torquemada in 1483. And then things really took off. But the focus at the beginning was very much on conversos, who were also called Judaizers, who were believed to be, basically, as far as the church was concerned, they were baptised Christians who were practising another faith and were therefore being heretical. Right, because the Inquisition didn't have any power over non-Catholics. So you couldn't inquisitate... At, like Jews who were 
just had always yeah. been practicing Jews or Muslims but you who were, could but chase if, them yeah. out of the country <laughs> you could do that because you're king and queen in a feudal state and you can do whatever you want you can do whatever the fuck you like um, but they technically the Catholic Church could not in any way do anything to Jewish people who had not converted but conversos they could and conversos mm. and in inverted commas Judaizers were very much the beginning it started badly like it Basically, what happens with the Inquisition throughout the entire period, there's like the same setup, which is that the Inquisitors travelled around the country and they would rock up in your city or your village or your town and they would show up at mass in their nice red uniforms Mm -hmm. and they would read a big list of heresies and say, these are all the things that we're here looking for. They would make everybody swear an oath to work with the with the Inquisition. So basically promise that they would work, mm-hmm. that they would collaborate. And then they would say everybody has, there's a period of grace. So there's like 30 days or 60 days or 20 days, during which time you can come to us and you can confess your heresies or you can denounce your heretical neighbours. <laughs> Great. It's one of, we do like to do this every so often, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if you confessed, so if I rolled up and said, at this time, you know, I have I don't know, been keeping the Jewish Sabbath or I have been eating kosher or anything like that, mm-hmm. then you were, and you repented, then you'd be given, like, you know, do your penitence, I don't know, 30 Hail Marys, whatever it is you get. <laughs> but if you had denounced and you didn't confess, then that's when things kicked off. Sure. Confession and repentance. Water and if you survive, you're a witch, basically. Basically. <laughs> it was actually very... This is where the ruthless efficiency comes from, which is that very early on they published, like 1485, they published the first kind of handbook on how to do this. Mm-hmm. And they were very... It's very rigid and like quite clear in terms of steps as to where you go. So say so we'd get to the end of the period of grace. So 30 days would pass with these dudes lurking about making being ominous in corners. And then they would have all of their notes of all the people who confessed and all of the people who were denounced. And then they would go through all of their like notes and match them together. And they would find all of the people who were denounced and who didn't confess. Mm-hmm. And then they would go and find those people and they would kind of look at the evidence basically like, is this just somebody like this old Mrs. Smith coming and saying, I once heard somebody say that Janina does something Mm -hmm. or is this I have seen on multiple occasions Janina do X, Y and Z. Mm -hmm. I saw good Janina with the devil. Yeah, and does it fit into a category? Because they had very specific categories of heresies as well at the beginning. These expand significantly later. (laughs) (laughs) But at the beginning, they were very focused explicitly on... This is before the Reformation, so really, we haven't got Lutherism yet. Mm -hmm. So they're very clearly focused on looking at conversos so looking at jewish people who have been forcibly or forcibly baptized or who have been baptized in order to not have to leave the country or die (laughs) and so if it fit into one of their heresies that they were looking for and they had decent evidence then they would go in arrest the person and confiscate all of their stuff because they made them pay for their own time in prison then they would wang them in prison and then you would have three hearings during which time they would read out everything that you were supposed to have done and try to force you to confess and repent and Mm -hmm. promise that you would return to the church because their claim was that their only aim was to bring people back to the church, to reconcile heretics with the mother, like the wife of Christ and to like, you know, which all sounds very fluffy and lovely. If after three hearings of people shouting at you, and this is where the torture would happen, then there was a trial and the presentation of witnesses and evidence. And if there was still no confession, then they would burn you to death. Sure. Um, or if it turned out that you, um, this was like your second accusation. So if you were accused and then you had confessed and gone, oh yeah, sorry, didn't, didn't mean to, I promise I'm a good Catholic now, and then immediately gone back and done it again, then on your, you didn't really get a chance on your second confession. Like, they'd just, like, burn them immediately. Sure. So 
That was fun. So that's what would happen. They would roll up. After a while, later-ish, they set up like permanent tribunals where they would take you. So they'd come and pick everybody up from your village or whatever and then whip you off to one of the (laughs) cities. But at first, that's how it began. And it all sounds terribly civilised. And I read quite a lot of... There's been a real movement since the 1970s to not rehabilitate, but re-examine the Spanish Inquisition and consider whether it was really as bad as it seemed. Sure, or whether sort of it's a legend that has... Yeah, and to a certain extent it is. Because this is one of the things that people point to, like fake medieval torture devices that were made actually wildly... (laughs) They were made in the Victorian period. Yeah, like Iron Maidens were never actually used, right? Iron Maiden? Excellent! In... Yeah, Ryan Maidens are a, a Victorian invention. Yeah, but uh, it was but track think... of which is real and which is like something someone made up. Well, I mean, I tell you, I strongly recommend the Tower of London, where you can see the very small little exhibit that they've got for torture that was used in the Tower of London. Mm-hmm. But that's got some very horrible things in it. I bet it does, <laughs> including one where which I had never seen before, but basically where they would make you go into. Like the fetal position, like on your knees. Mm-hmm. And then they would put you in a ring. It almost, you know, you know what it looked like? It looked like a really big embroidery ring. Like, you know, those rings oh, yeah, that you yeah, put yeah. to hold it taut. Yeah. Um, so like that, but made of steel. And they would put you inside of it and then they would tighten it up. So you'd be like squished and hunched. I don't know why I'm acting this out. This is a fucking podcast. Uh, <laughs> I, even I can't see you. Even you can't see me. Livia's even fucked off. Uh, (laughs) But they would, like, squish you in it and then tighten it up so it would crush, like, basically your spine and your bones. So that's fun. That's... The um, Spanish, apparently, were very keen on the rack. (laughs) The rack and uh, a form of waterboarding called the toca, which is effectively waterboarding. um, Where they put fabric over your face and then hold you slightly slightly vertical and then pour water on it so that you so it hurts and the pulley was the other one where they would hang you by your ankles from the ceiling oh yeah that doesn't sound fun those are their favorites yeah i suspect this is because they were traveling um yeah so they you can't cart around that much equipment yeah but that would happen basically during that kind of interrogation period where they would be trying to get you to confess to what you had done and what happened was in the 1970s in 1970s the dictatorship of spain collapsed Mm -hmm. franco died Mm -hmm. and a country which had been for a very long time closed off to anybody else suddenly became open and all of the records and archives because another surprising thing is how they wrote everything down yeah, they're not... Particularly in the later years. Yeah, this is one of those... Because a lot of the time, when you look at history and you look at people who did horrible things in the name of some sort of moral thing or idealistic thing, yeah, it seems pretty feeble. Like, it seems like a feeble power grab most of the time. Like, I mean, the broad example is Henry VIII, who was obviously crucial in the Reformation, and the Reformation was something that a lot of people really believed in, but he didn't. <laughs> like, he no, just, not really. He literally just wanted to get married. and He was just real mad at the Pope. Yeah, and spent the whole... Re- he was mad at the Pope and mad at the fact that the Pope was basically controlled by Spain and wanted to do whatever he wanted without anyone telling him off. And he, But then he wibbled on religion the rest of his life. He never, he never yeah. com- like came down on one side or the other, really. I... I think that happens a lot, but when, when you have something like the Spanish Inquisition and they're not just doing all this stuff, but they're writing it down in detail, you're like, they're not ashamed of this. They don't, you don't, if you think what you're doing is secretly bad, you don't write it down. They, no, they were, they thought for that the they were part, just. True believers, yeah. yeah. Bonkers. They, they, they genuinely, I suspect that for a large part it is a, a and I feel this quite often today, not that I support it in any way, but I do feel like true believers in a lot of things do really believe that they are saving the people that they are hurting. Yeah. 
um, that in the end, it is the immortal soul that matters more than your physical life. It's something I've always noticed in like small religious ways, like in my experience, people who haven't grown up in the church, people who convert to Christianity as adults tend to be a lot more fanatical about it than people who grew up with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I think for a large, like, there is a, a very genuine belief that it is a saving. Yes, completely. And that this minor, minor, this kind of the, the physical part of one's life is the minor part um, because the spiritual part of one's life is infinite. Yeah. Um, so if you have to hurt someone physically to save them spiritually, it's a small exactly. price to pay. Exactly. And, you know, the way that they wrote this shit down, notably, and even, so I read one, which was by a woman called, I want to say Jane Rawlings, her name was, which was a real, like, oh, it wasn't wasn't that bad, Helen Rawlings, sorry, in Spanish Inquisition, like a very much, it wasn't that bad, I don't even, oh, you barely even notice, like a, a wee... Like stubbing your toe for hundred years. <laughs> Even she has to admit that the bad, the bad times, the times when the Spanish Inquisition really was killing a lot of people, was when it was almost exclusively focused on Jewish people, mm-hmm. and it was attempting to eradicate them to a large extent. And she. But spends a lot of time. She calls, says at one point um, that there were. She kind of describes thirteen ninety one as some riots followed by some conversions, <laughs> which makes it sound like a much smaller thing than it was. Yeah. But still, even she has to say that, like, basically describe the kind of for period of fourteen eighties through to about fifteen hundred ish as like attempted holocausts where they really were killing a lot of people. And those periods were the periods where they were writing much less down. Mm-hmm. Like partly because they were not into the like the swing of things yet. And partly I think because it was so terrible, like and the numbers were so high that it wasn't really possible um to keep the detail. But what that means is to go back about five minutes um (laughs) in the 70s everything opened up and people could suddenly spanish people and people from other countries could access these archives (laughs) that exist and are very detailed and people started doing quantitative studies starting with a danish guy called gustav henningsen and a, a spanish guy called jamie contreras and they did like this massive statistical analysis of like 50,000 trial records which is a lot of trial records. (laughs) And we're like, oh, well, as it turns out, only like 2% of people were killed on average every year, if you exclude the first 20 years. (laughs) And like hardly anyone, like maybe, I don't know, like 5% of people were like tortured. It's hardly anything (laughs) across its whole thing, if you exclude the first 20 years, which we don't have records for. So you get a lot of people, and like for the large part of it like year by year it probably like if you spread it out across like all of that time Mm. then you're like okay like 1.7 percent hardly anything but if you actually look at that like it wasn't happening like five a year spread across each year yeah like oh it's been three months time to kill another one (laughs) more it was bunched up into big clumps mm-hmm. and you have things like like one of the earliest it was in seville and like 600 people were killed yeah things were chill for a while and then all of a sudden everyone was being murdered yeah or more specifically it started it it went in hard with trying to really kill like eradicate jewish people who had been forcibly converted mm-hmm. and though they were the people who suffered the most for a long time and like because they either wouldn't confess to it being a heresy or they just were not necessarily believed or given much of an opportunity to confess. Mm. Like there was not a whole lot of... one. There is a, a quite a big argument that earlier on there was actually more forgiving to the extent that if you got to the point where you were being tied to the stake... This is, I mean, this is forgiving in an Inquisition sense, but if you got to the point where you were being tied to the stake and you went, oh, no, no... God, sorry, I repent. I'm a Catholic again now, sorry. They would just strangle you. Oh, cool. (laughs) (laughs) 
rather than so that's nice if you manage to do it before you got to like on the way so while they were carrying you there mm. then if they thought it was sincere then they take you back to to be tried again mm-hmm. but but if you wait till the very last minute <laughs> but yeah so even even the numbers that like spread across time are still is like a quarter of people being tortured yeah and the thing is about that like sort of situation is that you can say oh not that many people were killed we still have an entire group of people living in constant fear that they were going to be tortured and killed for a very yeah. very long time like that's an enormous emotional strain to put on this huge segment of a population um and, and like i mean i imagine it's if you are an immigrant living in the states now and every so often someone tweets there's going to be ice raids tonight and and you yeah. never know when that tweet's going to come like the emotional strain that that puts on you as a person and i am including illegal and legal immigrants in there because i'm sure it's just terrifying even if you currently have documents that say you should be there because who the fuck trusts donald trump but that's a form of torture in itself yeah and the yeah and also you know i'm aware that i'm a big pansy but i feel like killing anybody is bad yeah i think killing people is generally bad even if you're only like oh overall 1.7 on total probably five percent it's still like if you say fifty thousand people five percent still two thousand five hundred people like that's still still quite a lot of people being who literally had to be walked to a stake and then burned burned alive for the crime of not conforming to yeah some religion that someone had just decided was going to be the one do you want an example of uh, the kind of thing that people were accused of in the yes. early days? Yes, obviously. Okay. So this is a guy called Velagas, mm-hmm. Pedro de Velagas. So there's a whole load, like a whole preamble. I say that Pedro de Velagas lived with the reputation of a Christian, is called a Christian and exercises and enjoys the privilege of Christianity. But... With calumny against our Lord and his holy Catholic faith and in violation of the censures and penalties for heresy and Judaizing, Pedro de Velagas has observed the law of Moses and its ceremonies in this way. First, Pedro de Velagas ate meat during Lent without a need or reason. Next, he ate unleavened bread on the Jewish Passover. Next, he willingly observed the Sabbath on Saturdays in his house on account of reverence for Jewish ceremony. Next, Pedro de Velagas is a Judaizer and a heretic and has observed Mosaic law, Mosaic law in other matters and instances that I will make known later. Yeah, so that's the kind of thing that people people were being accused of at the beginning. Yeah, cool. Which, to be fair, they probably were doing on the basis that they were, like, they did not, didn't convert out of a joy of discovering the love of Christ. Yes, no. They converted at the pain of death. Yeah. Yeah, so, and there's a lot of those that you, like, I found some nice uh, source books that you can read, and they're all, it's quite repetitive, to be honest. Although it does change, because what happened was there were then a load of big expulsions of the Jews, and kind of everything, after about 1510, things started to slow down in terms of inquisitioning conversos and jewish people Mm -hmm. because there was it's not great uh, because there was a massive expulsion of all jewish people uh, and all people who had really any kind of jewish heritage from pretty much the entirety of spain particularly from castile and aragon Mm. everyone had to be baptized or get out and quite a lot of them chose to get out and that happened in 1482 and then uh, 1499 was like the deadline everybody was given to get to get with the program or get out and a lot of people left and so things started to kind of slow down and there started to be lots of things being written and lots of like mm, do we need an inquisition anymore like i don't feel like this is useful it's not something that we need lots of people writing things because printing press has just been invented <laughs> so that's good and it looked like there might be a kind of swing away and like maybe it would die down and go away. But then Martin Luther saved the day. In 1517, he nailed his theses to the wall. Mm-hmm. And in 1521, he went to the Diet of Worms. <laughs> I told you it was coming up. Which was just a meeting in Worms. Uh, 
meeting <laughs> of the diet was like the meeting of all of the like heads of estates in the Holy Roman Empire. Cool. Boring. Why did they do um, this to us? Yeah. And then he was excommunicated, but his like 95 theses had been printed. They were spreading around Northern Europe. They were coming into Southern Europe and the inquisitors had a whole new thing Mm -hmm. that they could start trying to stamp out. People started rejecting the idea of priests as an intermediary between God and man. People started questioning the whole concept of the church. People started thinking that faith alone was enough. (laughs) How dare they? How very dare they? How very dare they? (laughs) Uh, People started questioning indulgences and the power of the Pope. It was terrible. And it was really... The galvanizing force that the Inquisition needed to really start mm-hmm. fucking people shit up again. Uh, yeah. So they were. Tipping point that all know, been waiting for for ages. A reason to get the boots was. on again. Like they had already killed off and like attempted to eradicate one entire set of marginalized people. Mm-hmm. And once they had almost succeeded in that and were really starting to lose their mojo, Protestantism came. And now they had Protestantism that they could really work on. So they started trying to root out Protestantism. They read all of the pamphlets and they read all of, like, because there's so much writing going on across Northern Europe and it's all spreading Mm -hmm. ludicrously fast. And they read them all and they made extra lists of heresies. So now they had new heresies that they could look for. It was a real good time to be... An inquisitor, if you really enjoyed reconciling people with the church. (laughs) And who doesn't? Who doesn't? Through the medium of torturing the shit out of people, or at least making their life very miserable. (laughs) So we had the whole round of rolling up in the village, and now instead of reading out a list of, like, you know, keeping the Sabbath and eating leavened bread, unleavened bread, sorry, they then got to start banging on about you know, have you not confessed your sins or do you think that faith alone is enough? And it started accusing people of being Lutheran. Yeah. So that was good. And then a guy called Fernando de Valdez became Inquisitor General and he was Inquisitor General for 80 years. That's ages. He must have become Inquisitor General at like 14 or something. Wait, you've put in here 1547 to 15... 66. That's that's 19 years. It is. Possibly I've written that down wrong. Anyway, he was a quizzer for a very long time. But he introduced blasphemy, scandalous statements, which I very much enjoy. Because I feel like that one was open to a lot of interpretation. Blasphemy, fornication, bigamy, sodomy and shagging priests are all like fairly black and white, did you, <laughs> didn't you? Scandalous statements, however... Feels like that one is really could be a free for all. And he introduced those as things which were now heresies on the basis that no true Christian would do such a thing. So it's basically like his own little interpretation of the fruits of the spirit. Yes. Mm. But then he gets to like bash people because now before it was just people who were overtly acting by being part of a different religion, basically, or who were doing things which were actively worshipping in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, keeping the Sabbath or keeping the eating unleavened bread during Passover and things like that, or were removing themselves from the structures of, of Catholicism. But now everyone was open to it. Even priests are, like, now open to be denounced and inquisitioned every person who walks and has ever been baptized has now could now be accused of scandalous statements i mean this is where it always goes right like things always snowball like when you start calling out a group of people that you have made up are wrong for whatever reason the more you do that the more you look for reasons to do it and the more you start to invent yeah. Whatever you want. Mission creep. Yeah. The mission creep really set in and then and it became a much more rigid, like even a last minute or even a confession could not necessarily save every Protestant. Yeah. And then for bonus fun times, in the fifteen sixties, they started enacting forced baptisms in Granada. 
Granada being obviously a Moorish city, mm-hmm. which was primarily Muslim. Yeah. So for a long time, it had been it had been conquered a while before, but the plan originally had been to convert Muslims through translating the Bible into Arabic and preaching in Arabic and oh cool um, so like like, talking to them like humans (laughs) yeah talking to them like humans and trying to talk people around to conversion Uh and like so that everybody had an individual conversion no they got bored of that sure it takes a long time it doesn't always work is the thing Yes. So this is partly because there was a Council of Trent uh, in 1564, which outlined what Catholicism was, basically, Mm -hmm. which Spanish were very involved in. Partly because Philip II, who was king at the time, who was, for bonus facts, the wife, wife? the rubbish husband of Queen Anne from The Favourite. Amazing. Yes. He was a terrible person. He was rubbish. I'm so glad that she had someone else to turn to in the form of Rachel Weiss <laughs> and then Emma Stone. Me too. Yeah. But he was at the time pursuing a war against the Ottoman Empire. <laughs> and uh, as there was also a failed revolt in Granada in 1568. So there was this kind of combined set of things that made Islam become the new Judaism for Catholics mm-hmm. and they decided they didn't like it anymore and they were going to forcibly baptise slash violently convert slash expel, expel Muslims from Granada. Cool. Which was a whole new stream of occupation for the Inquisition because now the Inquisition had people who were they're called Moriscos, ex-Muslim converts to Christianity or um forced converts to Christianity who were still keeping Eid and who were Mm -hmm. still avoiding alcohol (laughs) and were still living their life by Islamic tenants. And they didn't like it. So that was a whole new stream of good times for them. Yeah, they just, you just, when you think they've run out, they find another strand. It's very, you know, admirable, really. Every time you think, to be fair, these later, like I say later years, the mid years really, were becoming much more bureaucratic. This is where much of the writing comes from. And if then it eventually kind of, I don't want to say calmed down, but kind of settled into primarily looking for sin, really. Mm-hmm. Obviously, once they had when you go in really hard, which they went in hard for conversos and hard for moriscos and hard for Lutherans, I didn't really eradicate anybody. It managed to chase out of Spain and also Portugal, who had not dissimilar um, (laughs) ideas about how one deals with difference of religious opinion. And they, they kind of got to focus on Lutherans and shaggers. Sure. Sure. Which is where you then get, because you've got 400 years of of this going on and like of it being a really quite important part of the of Spanish system of government <laughs> yeah. which is weird i mean it's a it's a great example of why we should have a separation of church and state yeah and one of the like one of the things that really separates there's two things which separate the Spanish inquisition from the other inquisitions and one is that it was so strongly supported by the king, queen, and by the government. Mm-hmm. It was not in other countries. It was something that the church did and the kind of secular government didn't really have much to do with it. Mm-hmm. They would just kind of sit back and let them do their thing, which is why it was never really as widespread and was much more kind of intense and small. Yeah. Whereas this was instigated by the king and queen and then propagated by the kings and queens of Spain for a very long time and was integral to the way that Spain wanted to run the whole country. Yeah. It kind and of it seems as- like a like a ridiculous version of someone taking the throne, like because inheriting the throne for whatever reason or take or winning it through whatever method, and then killing off all of the lords and nobles who supported their competition. Except this is like the entire country. Yeah. <laughs> and basically. it's based on religion mainly. Yeah, and it is, it feels very similar to the Christian persecutions of the late Roman Empire, mm-hmm. where the there was a real, like, basically they would go around and force everybody to sacrifice to the emperor mm-hmm. and then sign a piece of paper saying that they were 
they weren't a Christian basically or signed a piece of paper saying that they had sacrificed and that they were totally fine with sacrifice and they definitely believed in the emperor, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And um, I mean, it makes sense. Like if your, if your right to rule is dependent on the idea of divine, what it, what do you call it? It's more the right. it's less about the right to rule and more about the idea that the health of the empire depends upon the spiritual health of everybody in it and that like again it comes from a fairly genuine belief that all of these people were stopping sacrificing to the gods mm-hmm. and therefore and that's why everything was going wrong that's why there were these famines and plagues and economic crises and people constantly fucking killing the emperor and if everybody would just get together and be like they usually were and be like they were back in the good old days and everybody just would sacrifice to the emperor Mm -hmm. then the gods would smile on us again it would be okay but they didn't (laughs) and it was it's exactly the same process that's being used here like if if we are all good catholics and everybody behaves properly and everybody is saved then spain will be great yeah and Obviously, it doesn't didn't really work. In fact, it had the exact opposite effect because, and this is the second thing which separates it, which is that it developed what's now known as the black legend, which is that pamphleteers, particularly Protestant pamphleteers after the 1540s, would write stories about the Inquisition in Spain in order to paint Spain as uh, like the great un-European or great evil of Europe, basically. Mm -hmm. As other countries converted to Protestantism in Northern Europe, so, you know, like what is now Germany and the Netherlands and Britain, as these places became Protestant and there became a real, the Reformation caused that real clash of ideologies, it using the Inquisition was a really good way to paint Spain as the worst of Catholicism yeah. and everything that Catholicism was. And interestingly, I enjoyed this, one of the ways that they would also attack them was to uh, attack the Spanish colonialism in South America. Cool. Which is A++ hypocrisy. Because <laughs> <laughs> another thing that I never realised was that they did also have Inquisitions in their territories mm. um overseas yeah. so in peru they had like the peruvian inquisition yeah and they owned sicily for a while and there was a sicilian exhibition but uh, like places in south america were also forcibly converted to catholicism and then told off for not doing it right mm-hmm. which is great yeah but a lot of people wrote books in during the reformation about the spanish inquisition um and painted it as being driven by the devil, as being an unprecedented evil, as being every like the ex- pure example of wicked Catholic excess mm-hmm. and their like abs- like inability to hold anything together without torture. John Fox, who we've mentioned previously uh, in his book of Holy Martyrs, has quite a lot on the Catholic Inquisitors of Spain. And he wrote... The extreme dealing and cruel ravening of these Catholic inquisitors of Spain, who, under the pretended visor of reason of religion, do nothing but seek their private gain and commodity with crafty defrauding and spoiling of other men's goods. Um, Seems like an understatement. Because another thing that is important to mention is that virtually everybody who was accused and arrested had all of their stuff taken. Mm-hmm. And even if you confessed and you got penance, quite often your penance would be having your entire estate confiscated and sometimes your house raised to the ground. Sure, of course. Naturally, why not? Like, yeah. Yeah. Why why wouldn't they? the Inquisition and by association, the Spanish government did make a lot of money Mm -hmm. off of (laughs) inquisiting (laughs) people. Again, a tactic we've seen before. Yeah, or after, it's not, I suppose, chronologically speaking. But the the reason that it is seen is partly because it lasts for so long, but also because it because they pushed back against Lutheranism, Protestantism, and later Protestant countries started pushing back against Catholic countries. It became a way to marginalise Spain mm-hmm. and to attack Spain, which was a powerful country 
which by that time not anyone was nobody was really getting on with. Sure. After the after the relationship between Philip II and Queen Anne collapsed due to him being a dickhead. Mm-hmm. Spain and the rest of the world didn't really get on, particularly in Northern Europe, didn't really get on that well. And so it became a real way, and it's called the Black Legend now, which was invented in 1917 by a Spanish writer mm-hmm. as this kind of creeping legend. And a lot of books were published to propagate this legend, to to tell everybody that it was this, this gen, like this terrible, cruel, repressive place which kind of sells this idea of it as being worse than anything else that has ever happened in the world Mm -hmm. as being the most appalling thing when really it was 400 years of misery punctuated beginning with and punctuated by some severe misery sure um and then in 1834 which is the same year that slavery was abolished in the british empire and but just before we get to victoria Mm-hmm. It's under my second favourite British king, <laughs> good old William the Fourth. I don't know very Everyone much about William about the Fourth. You wait till you get to that episode of Rex Factor okay. because he is great. Well, that's going to be a while. I've just got up to Edward the the small and sickly. I don't know what number he was before Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah, mm. six, seven. Six. There are a lot of Edwards. I don't know. I can never keep track mm. of Edwards. Yeah, well, you'll get there eventually, and he's a cracker. <laughs> Anyway, so like very late, Isabella the second. So the one who started it was Isabella the first, and Queen Isabella the second was like, "Look, I've had enough of this. Uh, <laughs> it's not anymore. Shall we just not?" Yeah, <laughs> basically, like this isn't really going anywhere. It's looking a bit awkward now, to be honest. Yeah. Well, good on her. No. Well done, Isabella. Yeah, it's just getting a bit like mm, I don't know. It's because it kind of kicked off in the kind of post sort of Enlightenment period. In the 18th century, they started doing this thing called auto de fe, mm-hmm. which is um, public acts of faith where they would make everybody get together and do a big public thing to promise that they would definitely. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of its last hurrah. And everyone was just a bit like, no, this is getting awkward now. <laughs> like Napoleon's coming. Like we've we've dealt with the, we've had the revolution. We've had Napoleon, we've like the world is changing and it just doesn't really fit in mm-hmm. anymore. <laughs> so that was the end of that. Well, they they hung on for as long as they could, and it, it was an impressively long time. They really did hang on for an impressively long time. It is it is impossible to to not be vaguely impressed by how long they really went for it. Yeah, you definitely don't think of it being four hundred years. Or no, almost four hundred years. I think if you had asked me a couple of weeks ago, I would have said uh, 60 years. I mean, at the most, I would have said like a decade. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a flash really in the pen. I really did. No, it was very important to Spanish history, oh. which is bad, I feel. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it. there's a lot of different inquisitions, really. Like, there's lots of, like, f- f- waves of inquisition, and all of it is... Spanish Catholicism trying to fight any kind of difference yeah. uh, for reasons that make little to no sense to someone who isn't fanatically devoted to the Pope, to quote Monty Python. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it is also at this point in history, well, not at this exact point, but over the, like, this era from, I guess, like, the ninth century for the, for the next few hundred years, like, all yeah. across... Europe, people are trying to tie together nations for the first time. Yeah. And that happens with violence. And I think it's, in Spain's case, it kicked off with, we've got to unite under Catholicism and that's the only way we'll be a country. Yeah. So it kind of was a founding tenant of the country's existence, I guess, for a while. Yeah. And it's also very strongly based in the... In medieval anti-Semitism, which I think is important because I think there is a real risk of saying, of painting, doing the black legend and painting, you know, the the Spanish Inquisition as being a kind of unique terror. Yeah. No, it was happening uh, everywhere. (laughs) It was happening everywhere. Like European anti-Semitism is a real kind of nasty stain. Yeah. To the extent that even 
the translation into English of conversos is crypto Jew, which is something that made me really <gasps> uncomfortable. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Fucking yeah. hell. And like every time I read it in a book, I basically binned off any book that had that in the title uh-huh. uh, <laughs> on the basis that I clearly I didn't think I could trust it. But yeah, but that is a word that comes up a lot. Yeah. And people use it very comfortably and is really not known. Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> like this made me very, made me very uncomfortable. Did not like it. Didn't like having to say about uh, that, that. Yeah, that's a, that's a bad, that's a bad one. And it's because like the the history of medieval anti-semitism is has is very very long and very very storied and very very horrible yeah and i think that there is a real risk of painting things like going out there was a spanish inquisition and then there was a holocaust at the end as if those two things were not in any way connected yeah by the long history that goes way back and way forwards yeah i just got to write a whole nice i say just like last week Got to write a whole nice bit about the destruction of the second temple. Oh, nice. Um, and the, yeah. This is a thing. Uh, by um, the Romans. As well, like, I, I mean, I'm not going to get into, like, too deep into the history of anti-Semitism because I'm not the right person to speak to that, either as a historian, well, I'm not a historian, or a human person because <laughs> I'm not Jewish. But when you think about the Crusades, for example, which was a series of wars over Jerusalem, and Jewish people never come into it. It's Christians battling Muslims yes. for control of Jerusalem. And it is really, I think, I mean, it's awkward to talk about now because I obviously um, do not at all support the current Israeli government's treatment of Palestinians. Obviously, mm-hmm. what they're doing there is, is very, very bad. But I think it's important to remember that for basically all of history in Europe, Jewish people were shunned and driven out of everywhere and they literally had nowhere to go. <laughs> like, yeah. there's no, there was no Jewish state, so they just... There were, and nowhere would have them. Yeah, no, no one wanted them and they had, yeah, it's a very, I think, important, and it happened again and again, like, just constantly. Yeah, it is important. Out, uh, of um, places. It is, it is very important to remember. One day, if we do Jewish history again, I would talk of my experience visiting Jerusalem. Oh, yeah. Which I loved, I have to say. It's a wonderful city. Yeah, yeah but it, it's a very interesting place. But that's not what we're talking about. The question, the yes. final question, is did anyone expect the Spanish Inquisition? What are you, and I'm forced, what are you saying here? I'm pretty sure that probably, yes, they did expect the Spanish Inquisition. I feel like even at the beginning... It was in the context of some... I feel like maybe it was a surprise, the brutality of the beginning. Yes, but we can't pretend that brutality only existed within the confines of the Spanish Inquisition. No. I feel like possibly in 1480, when the Inquisitors rolled up in Castile, uh, in, I think, I want to say Seville. Someone's going to correct me on Spanish geography, but I'm just going to stick with Seville. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and we're like, hello, we're the Spanish Inquisition, convert or die. Probably that was a surprise. But I feel like after that, it became so embedded. Yeah. And, and- that I, th- I feel like certainly by at least like 1777, probably everyone was like, yeah, it's the thing that happens. Yeah. But even like, Every so often. even then, the, the were inqui- Inquisitions were already happening. And brutal regime changes and adjustments and being violently forced to come in line with the ruler was already happening. So they may not have expected the form, but I feel like they must have expected the existence of something, even if they didn't... Like, it's it's like, you know, I was surprised when I was in an earthquake. Not because I'm surprised... Yeah. By there being earthquakes, <laughs> but I didn't think it would happen to me because that's how people are. I suspect that that was probably the surprise. They're like, "What? What? Yeah, I thought no. I thought this. I thought this only happened to other people because things only yeah. ever happened to other people. And now this seems to be happening to me, yeah. and I don't like it yeah. anymore. So I feel like yes and no is the answer. I feel like it probably wasn't that much of a surprise that they rolled up but often a surprise, and almost certainly a surprise to find that you'd been denounced. Yes. I do imagine quite a lot of, like, because I really like to think about 
low-key dramas in historical lives and just in people's lives like i love a low-key drama and like just the sheer amount of denunciations that must have come out of like i saw goody janina walking like she fucking walked over my cabbages and i she's been like letting her chickens roam in my area for the past three months war for years and now i'm going to win it (laughs) yeah exactly and just like or like, have you ever seen the episode of Inside Number Nine, which I'm 97% sure I've mentioned before, <laughs> where the couple accuse their mother of, or the, the woman's mother of witchcraft just so they can have a house? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, like it's just so many low-key dramas of people being like, you what? You're going to accuse me of this? I know what this is about. You just want my cabbages. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so... 100%. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that's the Spanish Inquisition. Horrible. Very, very bad. No matter how much Helen Rawson wants to make it sound like it was just fine, fine. (laughs) Just a fine thing where only 5% of people died. Horrible. Horrible, horrible. Probably not as bad as everybody wants, but horrible. Yeah, and probably not, like, worse than many other parts of medieval history. Which was a pretty violent time, turns out. Just it goes into modern history, which is wild. It's wild. What are we doing next week, Janina? Next week we have a question from at Tommy Herbert on Twitter. I don't know enough about Chinese history. Can you please sort me out with an hour-long dynasty by dynasty summary with jokes? Yes, we can. Absolutely. That's the end of that question. That's that episode. (laughs) Next episode will be one minute long. (laughs) So, yeah, so we're going to do a dynasty by dynasty summary of Chinese history uh, in an hour. Absolutely. With, Which should be fun. It's perfect because we can't have... A, the Chinese history is very long and we have to squelch it into an hour so we can't have much detail, yeah. which is great because I don't have detailed knowledge about Chinese history. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. See, this is going to kill me because I love detail mm. um, and nuance and love to talk too long about things. So we shall see. Yeah. But that's next week. Until then, if you would like a question answered then you can tweet us at, at sexyhistorypod. Or you can email us at sexyhistorypod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook at sexyhistorypod without the E. Or if you're really lovely, you can find us on coffee at bit.ly slash support sexyhistory or coffee slash, I can't remember how it comes out, sexyhistorypod maybe again. Who knows? I think it's sexyhistorypod. It gives you a warning when you go to it. Yeah, it wants you to be a grown-up. It does. Oh, it's just his his pod. His pod. H-I-S pod. Kofi. Yes, that's it. Slash his pod. Mm. Um, but it does say you have to be over 18 to look at our page. Uh, but you don't really. <laughs> if you don't, you're not, you know. Don't worry about it. No one's going to check. No one's going to check. And also the only reason it says that is because there are some marble boobs in our head image. And probably the, the word real... se- sexy in our name. I feel like it's probably the word sexy. I'm pretty sure it's... most people can handle it regardless of their age. I believe in it. Yeah, you can, what else? You can also find me on Twitter at, at Nuclear Teeth. Uh, and I'm at J9 and If. And Oliver, who makes us sound good, is at Keyware. That's all the places that we are. Yeah. R- review us places. That's nice. We like we that. We do like tell that. Tell your friends. We like that. Yeah. yeah. Just go up to people, tell them that you think we're good. Yeah, that's all good. Yeah. That's it, I think. I think you're right. Yeah. And thanks, Monty Python, for another question <laughs> from history. <laughs> Bye, Janina. Bye.